Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to Redefining Wealth. If you are an OG listener or a purpose chaser, thank you so much just for tuning in week after week and making this community what it is. I cannot believe how we are just growing and growing and growing. And I am so grateful for those of you all over the world. You know, and if you are new to Redefining Wealth, this is your absolutely first time listening. Here's what you need to know about this community. We believe here that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. We believe here in the original 12th century definition, which is that wealth is about the condition of well-being. And so we have rich and juicy and yummy If you're a guy, I know you're like, oh my gosh. But listen, we have some amazing, amazing episodes week after week where we seek to unpack what we call the six pillars of wealth. And several of them may seem like they have absolutely nothing to do with money, but we understand that the better we become in those pillars, the better we are with our finances because we are becoming better versions of ourselves. And so if you want to know what the six pillars are and get clarity around how you can apply those to your life and where you should start, go to my website, patricewashington.com, click on start here, and you will get an audio, a free training audio that'll help walk you through the six pillars and give you some next steps for you. And I hope that you will join us, that you'll stick around, make sure you click subscribe because this is the place to be every single Thursday when a new episode drops, whether it's solo or a wonderful interview. And today, I can't wait for you to hear this rewind. Marshawn Evans is a reinvention strategist. She's a millionaire faith and business mentor. And above all that, she is a good girlfriend to me. I had the opportunity uh, in August to spend some time with her for her birthday down in Mexico. And let me tell you, Everything that you hear in this episode and everything that you may see online, if you're already following her, is she's so much more. She's so much more having an opportunity to spend some intimate time with her. She just can't help making you believe bigger. I posted about it on my Insta stories. What was supposed to be just some fun in the pool turned into her dropping nuggets of wisdom and just blessing all of us who were there. And I'm so grateful for her friendship. I'm grateful for her mentorship. And I'm just excited about her. Believe Bigger really shifted a lot for me. So I can't wait for you to get into this episode. Two things I want to tell you before we start. The paperback release of Believe Bigger is out September 24th. This book that has been a blessing to tens of thousands of people is coming out in paperback. And you need to grab your copy if you haven't already. That's number one. Number two, Marshawn agreed in Mexico to be my very special guest. So we are going from this conversation on believing bigger, which all of you need to have under your belt now, because the next step in this is living bigger. First, you don't get what you want, you get what you believe. So first, believing bigger and then how to go to the next level and actually live bigger. And that's what we're talking about at the live podcast taping. So if you have not gotten your tickets, October 13th in Atlanta, it's going down. Marshawn, myself, and about 100 or so purpose chasers from all over the world, literally the UK, Zambia, I believe Canada, 
Folks are coming from all over to enjoy this rich conversation with Marshawn and also Brandy Harvey. So get your tickets, go to redefiningwealthlive.com. That's redefiningwealthlive.com. Get your tickets and get into this episode. When you hear, when you hear the gems drop from Marshawn, trust me, by the end of this, you're going to want to be there in person. So without further ado, let's get into this rewind episode uh, with Marshawn Evans Daniels. It's time to believe bigger. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Marshawn. Thank you. I will tell you that I have been looking forward to this. You were one of the first to invite me on. And this is like the Super Bowl for girls who love God and like to make money. And so you are leading the pack. And so I'm glad to be a part of this. I appreciate the invite. You know what? I might have to take that, though. I might have to coin that the Super Bowl (laughs) of girls who love God and make money. Absolutely. I've already started to share with you before the interview how much I value the time and effort and everything, the spirit that you put into Believe Bigger. This is a game changer. This is a game changer. Thank you. Let it be so. I I know that your word doesn't come back void, so I will stand in agreement with that. I pray so. Oh my gosh. It was so, it's just so thoughtful. I mean, I have the entire book underlined. I was like, you really are going to have to be more selective with your underline or or things are not going to stand out the way you want. I start underlining in pencil versus pen and in different color pens. This is actually how I got through college was definitions are underlined one way and then quotes I want to remember underlined another way or circled. Oh, you're bringing back bad law school memories. (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly what I had to do because Believe Bigger is so rich. And I have to tell you, Marshawn, so from back in the day when we were both contributing to, I think it was Upscale Magazine, And there would be some times where my face would be in the little box. And then on other pages, your face would be in the little box as the contributor. And so that's how I think I first became aware of who Marshawn Evans um, was at that time. And just always thought you were phenomenal from a distance, of course. You don't know people personally, so you can only hope. But reading this book really showed me that we had so much more in common than I thought that I would have ever known because I knew a bit of your pageant history just from hearing you share in different ways about it or seeing it in a bio or something here and there. So I made assumptions about your childhood. I just did as a kid that grew up in the hood in South Central Los Angeles, single parent household. And to see someone like you from a distance, I made assumptions And in reading the book, I found so many different levels in different ways that I knew I could connect to you outside of being an author and a speaker and a business owner and all this other stuff. Your childhood, so much of what you shared for me mirrored my own in different ways. And there was one thing that really, you know, I have the entire book underlined, like I said, but there is a piece where you talk about how you used to talk too much in class and, <laughs> and acting not up a bit. Have, not that we have that in common. I would never <laughs> guess that. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and, you know, acting up a bit, even though you were smart enough to do anything anyone else could do, acting up a bit and sometimes being labeled a problem child and 
I think it was your fifth grade teacher who kind of encouraged you, pulled you out in the hallway and had a little conversation with you. Like that mirrored so much of my own life. And I want to start here. There was a point where you said I was smitten with success. Mm-hmm. Achievement became my drug and it was the type of habit everyone encouraged me to continue. And just as I was saying goodbye to low self-esteem, which I went through too, my battle with success addiction began. And helping others became my obsession. And then you went on to say there's actually sometimes a thin line between service and success. And I know for me, losing everything in the recession was kind of my wake-up call because I battled self-esteem issues all through growing up and then realized, you know, you're, you're kind of smart. You know, and if you shift your focus from being consumed about what you look like or, you know, maybe not being the cutest that you feel or people telling you that you're ugly to being the smart girl and getting all the good grades and the high GPA and voted most likely to succeed and class president and on and on and on. And that became my addiction. And me losing everything in the recession was kind of that wake up call. That would be a split rock. That was the split rock moment. Yes. And you open Believe Bigger by sharing your one of your big wake up calls. So yeah. I kind of want to start there for anyone who's known you for some time and has this perception of you. I really want to start where you open the book okay. which is with okay. that split rock moment. Well, what you just shared really is so affirming and um, humbling because there, I've experienced that a lot. Actually, when I was competing in pageants, I grew up in Texas, and Texas is the pageant capital of the world. <laughs> the higher the hair, the closer to God, and there's nothing like a Texas woman who can show you how to tease hair, and that has nothing to do with race. <laughs> it's just big hair, fancy clothes, bling, and that's Texas. So growing up there, competing in pageantry, but being Black and not having a lot of examples to look towards and also being one of the only black kids in my school, being the only one in my neighborhood on my block and then in that pageantry world too. So there's a lot of things that cause you to question who you are. Do you belong on top of then being labeled problem child by the counselors and the administration at the school, which just wasn't true. They said I needed special education and and that my brother did as well, that we were antisocial. When we showed up the day of first day of school, they assumed that we needed to be at the school down the street because that's where all the brown kids went. Mm -hmm. And so it was the 80s, but this was first generation for teachers, um, Caucasian teachers, having kids of color. It wasn't just me as as a black young girl. It was also Asian and some Hispanics. This was the first time for a lot of them experiencing this. But when I'm six years old, what am I supposed to do with all of that, right? So for Mm -hmm. me, having all these different dynamics of identity and none of the guys ask you out, the girls don't ask me to spend the night. I didn't have friends like that. And I talk a lot about um, how that can, how that shapes who we become at such an early age of doubt and self-consciousness. And so what I found is that I could get attention, certainly not the attention I wanted when I was getting in trouble. And I really wasn't a bad kid. I don't think I talked more than maybe a little bit. <laughs> let, me, let me clean that up before lightning comes through. Um, <laughs> right. I don't think I was any different than any other child at that age that had a big personality. But 
I felt like I was bad, like literally felt like I was supposed to be disliked. I was supposed to be in trouble. That became my identity of what I expected to experience. I didn't expect a teacher to encourage me or to say anything nice or to affirm me. I didn't expect to get picked to be on a team. I didn't expect to get on a sleepover. So that really is a lot as a child to deal with. So then I found And I've learned, you know, now as life teacher and business coach and all of that, I've learned there's two drivers, either pleasure or pain. And for me, I said, well, I can get positive attention if I start succeeding. And when I was in the fifth grade, I'm so grateful for this man, uh, Mr. Larry Eager. He transferred into our school district and he didn't know anything about me. He didn't know that I was seasoned at getting my name on the board with (laughs) sex. He didn't know the history. He didn't know the, I don't know what he knew, but it felt like it was a fresh start. And thankfully, because we had two teachers that year, two fifth grade teachers, and he was new and we would, the classes were overcrowded. So when they split the classes, I was in the middle. I look at it, interestingly enough, um, kind of looking, uh, maybe we'll get to it, the purpose map being in the gap. I was in the middle of the split and I ended up in his class and it was nothing but a God moment. Now, I still talk too much. I still got my name on the board, but I knew he was fair. And one day I said something that was smart, Alec. I remember we were dressed up for like career day and I dressed up like a model and I had a hat on. And I said with a little um, swerve in my neck, I'm absolutely sure I did. You can't make me take this hat off today because it's career day. And he looked at me, his face got so red and he took the hat off my head, said, meet me in the hallway. He put the hat back into my hands, shoved it back into my hands. And I looked at him and he's got a pointy nose, face is red, looking at me. And I'm like, I've seen this face before. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it was like this wave of peace came over him and the whole environment said, you know, why do you act like this? You can be anything you think you can if you first think you can. And that I believe was my first, what I call in the book, a lightning bolt moment. Oprah would call it an "Uh (laughs) aha, but it was the first time at 10 years old that I saw destiny looking back at me. It was literally God had stopped in the middle of a moment that I would have normally been say, I was waiting for him to say, go to the principal's office. And instead he spoke life into what I'm writing about today, which is belief. He said, you can be whatever you think you can. If you first think, believe you can. And I felt like a weight had lifted off of me. It felt like a, you've probably experienced that before where you feel something from God. And I wouldn't have had the words to describe it like this at 10 years old, but it was just a a door opening moment. And I believe that's the first time that I really heard that I mattered, that I was important. And so that put me though on this trajectory of, it wasn't right away, but on this trajectory of starting to achieve, to win, to get good grades, And that then became my identity. And it wasn't even about me making good grades for the sake of learning. It was about me winning. It was about, let me figure out what does the teacher want to know. And everything was a game to me. And (laughs) I was a competitive baton twirler. And it was about winning. And I was focused. I was in the zone. I didn't have friends anyway, so I wasn't distracted. And I kept my successful life with my activities outside of school and being an internationally competitive baton twirler. I just kept it all separate. I said, they don't like me anyway. They don't get it. I don't have to explain it. And I felt like I lived these two double lives where people may have had an opinion. I didn't really care anymore. 
but I was so hyper-focused. And that's when I began to believe that success was what defined, in some ways, being after God's heart. It's kind of sad to, to, to think about it like that, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until really just a few years ago that I understood that God did not design me to succeed. I am capable of succeeding because he designed us to win, but the purpose of being here is not just to check things off a to-do list and to climb mountains. The goal is to move the mountains, and that's what it means when we enter into a space of significance versus just success. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's already good. I identify with so much of mm-hmm. everything you just said. Your father, my father was paying for grades after a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> the financial incentives. I said he was my first investor. He's like, yeah, those A's, I'm going to give you 20 bucks, B's, $10. Mm-hmm. I remember knowing what my payday was going to be, but I always liked having money in my pocket. <laughs> I'm with you, girl. I am with you. So, Believe Bigger is about discovering the path to your life purpose. And I love that you actually say, though, in the book, I'm not here to help you find it. I'm not here to help you find your purpose. I'm here to help you become more aware of it. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, women like us have been so success driven, you know, and we like to make lists and then check things off. And sometimes I don't know about you, Marshawn, but I would add things I already did today to the list so that I could check it off and then really feel like, look at all the things you've done today. But you say purpose is not an intellectual exercise and it's not a checklist, right? Yes, correct. And I love the definitions that you give for purpose as well as some other words that we kind of tend to use interchangeably. So usually at the end of the podcast, I end with these rapid wisdom questions. But for clarity on this interview, mm-hmm. I want to kind of give you some rapid wisdom questions now okay? <laughs> because I want us to all be on the same page with the terminology that you use. And I think by far the definitions that you've come up with are the best I've ever heard for these words. So, yeah, honestly. And then you give this example of the tire. So let's get through mm-hmm. this. And if we can okay. use the tire example, I think it'll bring it all home. Okay. So first is purpose. Define purpose for us. Purpose is the natural impact and presence that your life is meant to have on others. This is the only one, if I could break it down a little bit before the other rapid fire, because this is the crux of why we are here. And what really disturbed me, the motivation for me to take the time to really focus on writing this book, I had a very successful company. We were doing seven-figure events in three days and just growing. And I finally figured I know what I'm doing. We have clients coming from every corner of the earth. And now God's asking me to stop. And it was in this time that he showed me a few things. One, that by being in the trenches with people versus just being on the treetops of a stage, that I learned what purpose really was by being with people. And we have to be with people to understand what our purpose is. And that's why it's not an intellectual exercise. Most of us just try to look at our lives through our own lens or even through the lens of what other people are saying. And we try to figure it out in our mind, but we can't, we have to be in the trenches. So what I found in working with women, mostly women of faith to help them increase their income and their influence through branding, business, marketing, sales, and also infusing it in what I call Godfidence, which is all about believing bigger in who God has called you to be and acting accordingly. (laughs) What I found is that my gift, 
my superpower is helping people identify their purpose. And I used to think that that wasn't that significant because I'm like, everybody helps people find their purpose. Everybody wants to find a purpose. And then I realized it's a great buzzword, but there's very few that have the language and the fruit, right? We've got to look at the fruit. And I saw all of these people stepping into their calling, people with women, a woman, Yvette, who had a brain injury, and then seeing her turn that into a mission and seeing her now travel around the world. And it's not about platform. It's not about reach or expansion or the superficial stuff of numbers or metrics or fame, but it is about how are you naturally designed, right? Naturally designed to impact, influence, and make the lives of other people better. And that might be something that you're not aware of, but it doesn't mean you're not already doing it. So oftentimes we try to look for purpose and we're looking at it like a career. We're looking for something else to do because we've become so success conditioned and so doer-minded. And as women, especially ambitious women, because I know those who are on the path to redefining wealth, are ambitious women to begin with, or else you wouldn't be listening to the sound of our voices. Mm -hmm. So when you're an ambitious woman, you've already had to overcome obstacles. You've already been told you weren't good enough. So then you had to be better than those who were really mediocre in comparison to the brilliance that you bring to the table. But because of whatever reasons that you already know, you had to be better. So you never had the opportunity just to be who you were and for someone to really come in and say, I'm going to pick you, not because of who you are. I'm going to pick you because of what you've done. And so we're not conditioned to be able to find purpose in that way. So when I say purpose is your natural impact, that's the impact that your life is naturally designed to have and your presence has. And you, when you're operating in your pers- purpose, it's also about your personality. So if you are an encourager or if you are a, um, a catalyst, if you're someone who awakens things in people, you've probably, or if let's just say you're, inquisitive. You ask questions. You've always been curious. I'm sure Oprah, she was always very curious and she always loved questions. Those things that are in our personality, those are at the core of our purpose. It has nothing to do with you starting a business. It has nothing to do with you starting a new program, you being a boss chick or a boss lady, which that's not really my thing in terms of terminology, but that's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's not about ego. Your purpose is about how did God design you if you never had a job? Because remember, women weren't really working. So he had us in mind when he created us right from the very beginning. So what is it about you that if you never got a check, if no one ever saw or heard your name, that you do just by being present, that changes Mm -hmm. the atmosphere? And so that's when we can embrace our feminine essence and how God made our quirkiness, the stuff that we got in trouble for the talkativeness, all of that is designed to be clues about who you are, what your purpose really is. And it's about your personality more so than it is about your profession. So purpose is about the natural impact you're supposed to have. Personality more so than your profession. Oh my God. I love that. Okay. Next one is calling. Yes. So calling is a specific assignment. That's a specific mission or an objective, and you will have multiple assignments over time. So for me, I believe that my purpose is helping people to believe bigger so that they can live bolder. It's all about self-esteem and believing bigger in yourself. I know, I believe that we know how to believe in God very well. 
but we don't really know how to believe bigger about who we are. And that's the pathway into figuring out, well, who could I be versus who I was told I needed to be? So that is my purpose. And I've done that when I was in school, when I was nine years old, and I would create logos for my dad. That was another sign of maybe a gift, right? And we'll get to a gift in a second. But I was helping my dad think bigger about his business and creating a brand. And I was always telling people, I was prophetic as a child, but no one knew what to call it. I would always say, you could be this. My girlfriend, Tiffany, that I've known since she was three years old, she was great with hair and makeup and styling. And I said, I'll create your own business cards and we'll call them touch-ups by Tiffany. (laughs) I'm not like you. I like stability. And I realized, I was like, wow, I could see people. That was part of my natural, I didn't go to school for that. I wasn't trying. So that's the personality. And then in career wise, when I was managing pro athletes, I had a sports agency. And at that time, I looked at that season of starting my sports agency. That was a seasonal assignment. That's how you should look at calling. What am I being assigned or called to do for this season? And that might change. This is where obedience and being sensitive to God's voice is absolutely imperative because you might plant your roots in soil that God intends only for you to plant seeds and not to grow forever. And so mm-hmm. I was in that sports agency and I launched a lot of athletes, professional athletes in their brands and their foundations. But I realized I'm a midwife, not a parent to a lot of different dreams and desires. It's to get them out of someone's womb. And men have a spiritual womb too. We all have something we're supposed to birth. So one of my clients, Thomas Davis, plays for the Carolina Panthers still. At the time, I started his foundation and I, w- I didn't know, I kind of started to realize this, that I had a gift for branding and messaging. So he came up with the name, the Defending Dreams Foundation. And he loved it, calls his wife. Now that 10 years later, well, a little less than that, maybe eight years later, I'm not doing sports anymore, but I'm watching him at the NFL celebration, winning the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award for his philanthropic efforts. And I'm looking at the Defending Dreams Foundation highlight reel, all the stuff that they've done. And my job was just to get it started. That was my calling and assignment. But the gifts never changed. The purpose of helping an athlete to believe bigger beyond the field of who he can be, the impact. And when you help someone, for me, when I help someone find their voice, that helps them step into who they really are. So that is, I hope, an example because these terms are interesting if you don't give examples. Yeah. So we've got purpose, you've got calling, and that's your assignment. Calling is your assignment. Yes. And so you, you briefly mentioned gifts. Mm-hmm. So let's define gifts. So gifts are your God endowments. And I look at them, I, I have a whole section on this in the book. It's one of my favorite things to teach about. And I also look at it like your spiritual DNA is intertwined in your gifts. This is where your superpowers are. These are the things that God deposited that are a reflection of his DNA dropped into you. And it's exclusively inside of you. So God exclusively drops a piece of himself inside of us such that when we show up operating how we're designed with what we have, with what we've naturally been given, we don't have to try to point people to God. They naturally see him. Just like you're a mom, 
when your daughter was young, I'm sure you started seeing traits and you and your husband were saying, well, she's more like me or more like you. And then you started seeing characteristics in your husband like, oh, she doesn't put things up. She's probably like you. <laughs> you know, we start, <laughs> we start pinpointing different characteristics. We start going, no, that's your daughter today. That's, that's your not my daughter. daughter. That's your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. When we start seeing characteristics, we associate them with the parent. Same thing with our gifts. When we're operating in our sweet spot, when we activate our gifts and we develop them and realize we do have certain superpowers, for me, it's messaging. It is belief transference. I I had to embrace and realize that this whole thing around self-esteem isn't fluffy. It's necessary to people fulfilling their destiny. And I have an extraordinary level capacity to transfer belief into people where they can believe the impossible things that are said about them. I believe Mordecai, when Esther was facing this impossible obstacle of walking into the king's court to say, hey, look, my people are being killed and slaughtered. And I know you don't know me amongst these thousands of women that are seeking to be your queen, but... I am here to tell you that I'm going to need you to hook me up with a little bit of favor. (laughs) Mordecai was able to speak belief into Esther. Esther was like, I can't do this. I can't do that. And so there's some of us, and I'm sure many who are listening who have been gifted with that, and you've been downplaying that. But that is a gift. That is a superpower. And then there are others And we just don't learn about all of the spiritual gifts that we have in the Bible because normally we learn about the gifts that are involved with serving on a committee in the church. (laughs) That's the Mm -hmm. only time I ever heard about spiritual gifts was the ones that were listed specifically in the Bible. And then I would only hear about them when it was time for them to take up volunteers to serve on different committees. So no one ever told me that making money is a spiritual gift. For some people, it comes easy for you. But God says, my yoke, his yoke. What he gives you to carry is easy and the burden is light. So there's a reason why certain things just come natural to you. And those are your gifts. Those are your gifts. And that's what the big mission of Believe Bigger is one for us to be aware that we have them and that they're greater than our talents. Our talents are what we've been trained to do. Our Mm -hmm. gifts are what we were born to be, to be. and And then we can do on top of who we were meant to be. So that's what our gifts are all about. And our gifts give us clarity about our calling because God wouldn't, he doesn't create confusion in our design. So our gifts give us clues about our assignment. And when we understand our purpose in terms of our personality and our essence, then we can show up uniquely. And that's why there's nobody else on the planet like you. Our personality is our unique blueprint. The way there might be multiple people who talk about money, But nobody does it the way Patrice does it. They can't. It's just not possible, which is why you have such a grace that follows you is because you know that and you get that and God can work with that. But when we don't understand the power of really being purpose made, then we start to compete. We start to do all this other stupid stuff. (laughs) And we also live beneath our call and we stay in our comfort zone. So our gifts are really great clues into where we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to become. I love this breakdown. Now, here's a word that I know the audience is not going to expect as we talk about purpose, calling, and gifts, and that's disruption. Mm -hmm. How does Mm -hmm. disruption fit into all of this, Marshawn? Well, the way you know disruption is entering your life is everyone says, I want to shift. And then you take out the F. (laughs) (laughs) And when that starts happening, I used to think, and a lot of times we can think it's something is happening to us, 
But disruption is an unexpected, inconvenient moment. It is what I call a split rock moment. It's based off of a passage in Isaiah where it talks about how God split the rock and then through it, water gushed out. And for me, disruption, I mean, we've all faced obstacles. We've all faced something we thought we'd never overcome. But when I found out six days before my wedding that my fiance was cheating on me and I did not see it coming. And here I am, this Georgetown lawyer had written this successful book, had been on The Apprentice, been in Miss America. I was like, this kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. And I closed down my very successful sports agency. I had signed the highest paid defensive end in the NFL who had just signed a $62 million seven-year contract as my first client. And then it grew. I mean, I started with grace and favor, but just some hustle too. (laughs) And I closed all of that down for love. So that was my plan A, B, C, and D when he said, let me take care of you. And who wouldn't want to hear that as a woman who has been a striver, who has been a success seeker, to hear, wow, someone sees me for me. Someone doesn't want anything from me. And he wants to make things easier. He said, you know what, babe, you take a break. You've been touring. You've been working for all these athletes. You've been building this business. You just pause, come here and be my wife and a mom to our three kids because they called me Mimi. They called me mom. And so when I found out he was cheating six days before, that rocked my world. It brought me to my knees and I didn't see it coming. And it was like an earthquake. It's like having an earthquake in an area that's never had an earthquake in the history of its existence. That's how much it shocked me. And it caused me to question my beauty. It caused me to question my worth, my intelligence, and my trust. Like the thing about when a woman is cheated on is we question our intuition, especially if we ignore the signs, we start really chipping away at our, our, our feminine intuition to begin with. And then we start developing deep trust issues. So disruption is something that comes in. It's unexpected. It's always inconvenient. It's not what you want. <laughs> but, and I, and I call it a split rock because this was the scripture in Isaiah that really helped me to see that there was something new on the other side. This was early in the process when I found this out before I really went through this whole healing process, but it was an anchoring scripture that helped me understand I have to work on me. I have to get better. I have to get counseling. I have to, my life is not my own because there is new life. I don't know how it's going to come forth, but I know I am not going to let this be who I become. I've seen too many women who we have the shift without the F hit our doorstep. And then we let that become our story and we can never come out of it. And I was like, oh, I didn't know how. I didn't know how because there were multiple days. There were months where I would not get out of the bed and I could not see. Oh, goodness gracious. I could not see myself getting out of the bed. And I was I was good friends with the ceiling. And if it was not for ESPN saying, hey, we need you to come on and talk about Tiger Woods who just cheated on his wife. And I'm like, great. Yeah, that's what I really want to talk about. But I did that three weeks after finding out my fiance was cheating on me, doing commentary about Ben Roethlisberger and sexual assault and talking about men doing some stupid stuff. But that was still my the vestiges of my career. So disruption is not pretty, but neither is destiny. The path for Christ to the cross was not pretty either. And there is a part of it that just is like, it's going to take you out. But I believed somehow that there was new life on the other side. And I wanted to press towards that. So whenever we go through that, that's the thing is to look for something 
to believe in something bigger and to be around women and people and, and be humble enough to say, you know, I can't do this on my own. My husband always my husband now that I am married to an amazing man, he always now says that a lot of times we walk around putting bandages over bullet wounds. And so disruption is designed to stop us, to slow us down. And the one thing I want to say about purpose and calling, since we defined those, is when something hits your doorstep, the immediate response, my ambitious sisters, (laughs) is not to go out and try to fix and change the world and use your life as a testimony right away because you need to let some things soak and be made new. And that takes time, which we don't usually want to put give out to ourselves. And we don't do that because we don't feel we're worthy of taking the time to actually work on ourselves. We'd rather go and focus on who we really feel is worthy by saving other people versus putting the oxygen mask on ourselves. Oh, that's good. That's good. You know, I love from the book where you said God uses disruption as a catalyst to get our attention and prepare us for our next season, even mm-hmm. if the process is ugly. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I identify with that so much. The faith pillar at Redefining Wealth is about believing in something greater. That's what the pillar is all about. And yes. there was a part that I highlighted. I was like, yes, I feel, you know, it's always good to have confirmation mm-hmm. in certain areas that you are on the, the right path. and. One of the things that I always say about the faith pillar is that I know that these many things that I've been through in this life on this journey is that they didn't happen to me. Much of it happened for me. You say the same thing in the book. What if all that you've been through didn't happen to you, but happened for you? Can I tell you one thing about that that is elevated for me just in the last three days about that phrase? Because that has been a mantra for me for the last seven years. And even though I don't explain it this way in the book, I'm even thinking that when we look at how it didn't happen to us, but it happened for us, is that our our sight is still a little bit insular and focused on ourselves. There Mm -hmm. is a part that we want to say, yeah, how is this helping me? But when we understand purpose, our lives are not our own. Right. So this didn't happen just to me. It's happening through me Mm -hmm. for other people. And it's like, if there's going to be a shift and a change, if we really want to change people's lives, even as we succeed and thrive and do the things that have never been done and create legacies for our families, if we want to have impact and influence and be all that we've been called to be, then that means we're going to, we want to shake the world. We want to change things up. And again, if you think about an earthquake or shake, something has to move. Now, what if the earthquake and the shaking happens in you first before it happens outside of you. And so it's like we experience these things that are, that feel like setbacks. They feel like attacks. And sometimes we've got really bad stuck stories about spiritual attacks. And sometimes it's just making bad decisions on a repeated basis, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but anyway, what if what we're experiencing is happening in us so that we can take other people through it. And that's how we change the world. And so I've kind of even begun to look at it, you know what, God, elevate my understanding that this isn't even happening just for me. I'm a vessel for it to happen through me. Well, you know, I've been saying a lot too. It's funny that you bring that up. I've been saying most recently as well that it's not even about me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm getting that more and more. It's not even about me. And somewhere in the book, you talk about that at some point we get to be the student and the teacher. 
Yes. And I love that. Did you? Okay. I wasn't sure. I haven't, you know, there's not many people have read the book and I haven't heard much feedback. So I get excited every time. You know, (laughs) I told you I read it. And to me, it's always important that anyone who I invite that I read it from cover to cover. So I, I saw that too, girl, that nugget too was there. And that stuck with me too, because it fell in line with this idea of it's not even just about you. Like during the test, I'm the student. And I'm learning for myself how to heal, how to deal with this. I remember your Facebook Live about the blessing of betrayal. I had to send you a direct message, girl. That thing moved me so much. And I had gone through so much during that season that it moved me so much. And I felt, okay, in in this moment, I'm the student. I need to learn whatever it is I need to learn. But I know that when I have that testimony, that God is going to use me to be the teacher Mm -hmm. and help guide other people through this process. But like you said, you can't just jump out there and be like, okay. Right. We want to take on classrooms (laughs) that we may not have been or not necessarily ready for us to step into that teacher role just yet, sometimes prematurely. But also the unfortunate thing is, which is what we're changing with this conversation today. And what my intention is, is that this uh, book becomes a conversation and a guide that we begin Early on, when our kids are born, we tell them, you are called to lead and influence, and you will be called to use your life as a lesson, Mm -hmm. that you are here to teach, that your life is a representative, that you are a message, a unique expression of God that only you can demonstrate. So your life matters. You're going to have fun. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have trials and tribulations, and all of it is for the good. What does that mean when he says all things are working for good? I believe, again, that our lives are a message. Our lives are a message. So our lives are designed to teach. Now, some of it, we don't even have to try. We just right. live. Mm-hmm. We just do. And, and our lives teach. But there is an important aspect when you become, begin to be intentional and be embracing and investing in and developing. Anything you want to see grow, you need to water and you need to groom. Yes. So we grow and groom everything except our destiny and our purpose and the things God has given. We take those things for granted. We assume, oh, if it is to be, it'll be. And that's not in the Bible. And we see all of these, these little sayings and we take God for granted, but we put everything into somebody else's dream, into shoes, cars, hair, and to the superficial stuff. We put more, we would spend more sometimes on gum than we will on our own personal development. And that's gum, G-U-M. <laughs> so just the little things that we will put more into. And so I just believe that we are designed to be teachers. And what would happen if our daughters and our sons knew before they even knew how to write their ABCs that they were called to lead. And so my goal, one of the things I outline in Believe Bigger um, in terms of teaching, the reason I want everyone to embrace that they are a teacher is there's these five stages of purpose and I call them the purpose map. And it's something that we can all teach. We can all demonstrate. And my vision was, wow, I wanted a child to be able to see this and to be able at two years old to be able to point when mommy says, Where's the gift stage? Where's the talent stage? And understanding her talents even before she can write or he can write. And they grow up knowing that they matter, that they're called to lead and have influence and that we speak with a new language. Similar to the five love languages, we now have language of how to talk about purpose where it's not this unintended mystery. God designs and intends that we have mastery when it comes to this. Yeah. And the purpose map is really, I think, connected to the reinvention 
yes. definition too, right? So let's define reinvention and then go into the purpose map. Okay. Girl, you know, I want to unpack this whole thing. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I think we need to do like a day event. Like we need an event. <laughs> we need to just yeah, do an event. It's just so good. Okay, so let's define reinvention and then let's okay. go into the purpose map. Okay, so reinvention to me is not about just doing something new or just saying, oh, you know what? I want to um, update my house. Let me just do something new. Let me update my life. It's really about coming into alignment with the original intention for your life. It is really embracing who you've always been, but maybe never really realized. And I look at God as an inventor and we are his invention, but we get miswired along the way. And so I'll, I'll dive actually right into the purpose map. Yeah. So there's these five stages of purpose. And the first stage is the discovery stage. Discovery is where we learn the do's and don'ts of life. And we each develop our own internal system that I call the rules. <laughs> this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is how you're supposed to be, how you're not supposed to be. This is where we, especially as women, develop people-pleasing and mm-hmm. protocol gets ingrained into us. This is where we learn that it's good to go and get a job with benefits. It's what we are taught is the appropriate way of living, even religiously. How are we supposed to behave? How, what are we supposed to do? What does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be a good girl? All of those things get ingrained to us at that first stage. And so if God had original intention, this is where it starts getting messed up. <laughs> you think yeah. about a child, they don't know who they are. They just do stuff. They just play. They just write on the walls until we tell them that's not allowed. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get in trouble for doing what comes natural to you. If I was at church, I'd be like, hello, somebody. Yeah. Um, but we, we, you get in trouble. So you and I got in trouble for talking. We were told that's not right. Right. <laughs> now look where you, this is what you were born to do. So usually this is where you learn how not to be who you really are because it somehow breaks a rule. And the rules are what are supposed to guide us. So that takes us into stage two, which is the the talent stage. Talent is all about climbing what I call one of five success mountains for women. And so I'll let readers grab the book so they can see what those five mountains are and which ones have been defining them. But one one of the ones that I will share that defined me was the money mountain and success. And so that became my label. And so for so many other women, what we do, even in our homes, in our marriage, those things can also become our identity. And we get to the top of the mountain and we want to retire because we live in a society and really in a culture that values retirement, but God calls us to reinvention. And for this reason, most people on the planet will never make it out of stage two, believers included. Mm -hmm. Never make it out of stage two. And so this is why disruption comes. A split rock will come to split you from who you've been, which is the comfort zone. You've been in the comfort zone and the comfort zone can be really sexy and successful. You know, don't let anyone fool you. It doesn't have to be. It's just, you're not happy with your life. You could be dissatisfied and not know why, because everything is great. Yes. Which is why we talk about fulfillment so much. Mm -hmm. Yes. Finding wealth. And I love, um, you say that in discovery, we learned what rules said we were supposed to be. And then in talent, it's now we get to see who we decided to be. And that is so true. People always think that it has to be, you know, that you're so disgruntled at your job or, you know, that, that there's something that's so bad. 
um, mm-hmm. going on. But you say we play it safe by finding a hideout called predictability or success. Yeah. Pick a lane and that becomes our life. Yep. Yes, 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 yes. And it's the degrees. We find a degree, we find a path, and we listen to the advice of our parents that meant well. And so many of us were first-generation possibilityists. (laughs) They had no other choice. I know when I watched the movie The Help, that movie taught me so much about my grandmother and my great-aunts that I had seen them in those uniforms in black and white pictures. Mm And I felt like I understood they, they just didn't have the, my grandmothers didn't get to go past third and fifth grade. Yeah. All of my grandmothers cleaned houses for other people and they did it well. I talk about my grandmother and how she cooked and she cleaned, but she did it with excellence and pride. And I carry that. I dedicate the forward to these women, my great aunt and my great grandmothers and my mother. And they didn't have the chances that we had. So they gave us the best wisdom that they had based off of what they knew. So that was to get a job with the benefits and to sit up and this is how you're supposed to act. You got to realize they, they grew up in the depression, not a season of, amp, of, of wealth and abundance and possibility and technology. And they didn't grow up with that. So, and also the fear and the, the racial tensions. So a lot of what we received was based off of what they were experiencing. And that confines us where we're afraid to do again, bigger things is because it's just not natural to us because it was never developed in us. And it wasn't a fault of theirs. I really believe the women who came before us, we have to honor them by taking what they did give us and the spirit of what they meant, not just listening to the exact words, yeah. right? That's like saying, okay, well, she said I had to use an eight track. Well, that's not around anymore. <laughs> so right. It's like saying, we know what did they mean? What did they mean? They wanted us to operate with elegance and integrity. Yeah. So uh, you, that used to mean wearing pantyhose and stockings and it had to be down to your ankles. What it means now is just not showing your <laughs> on social media and utilizing that to sell business and acting like that's what it means to be a quote unquote boss lady. Is that what it means to carry forth the the legacy of your ancestors? That's all they were trying to get us to see. And at the time, it meant your skirt had to be this length. At the time, it meant you had to act this way in church. And so the question is, what was the essence behind what they were carrying, but not to be wedded to those rules of how we interpreted what they were telling us now that we're grown? Right, right. So we have discovery, we have talent, we um, get split rock, something comes usually to rock our world, maybe there's disruption, maybe it's just dissatisfaction, takes us into this middle space of the gap, which is probably where you meet most people where they're in that transition space of seeking something greater, feeling a nudge to do something bigger, maybe getting new dreams or ideas, or just feeling uncomfortable and like it's time for a shift and you might be like, why? So one of the things I outline is the tug and how this is where there's a, there's a pregnancy that you've been carrying mm-hmm. for a long time. And that's one of the reasons why disruption comes, your water breaks, to get you to pay attention. That's kind of what the gap is all about. And if you're not careful, if you don't make believing bigger decisions, bigger decisions take you into a bigger life, you'll get stuck in the gap and circle in there like a purgatory. And it's so unfortunate to see so many talented people go in circles because they won't take these bigger steps and they get caught up. Another thing that's in Believe Bigger are blessing blockers. 
and I'll let them read about those, but they are definitely all up in your life if you're listening to my voice, because we all have them. And the question is, are we going to be honest about saying, you know, I've allowed pride or I've allowed whatever it is to block me from moving forward? You know what, Marshawn, during the time I was reading this section of the book at my church, the pastor was talking about missed opportunities. Mm. And he spoke about the fact that, you know, we always hear that people don't like change. And he said, I don't believe that's true. We like change. We just don't like change that we didn't initiate. And and you talk about that when you say that many of us kind of wrestle with God for the steering wheel. And so (laughs) that circling, when you're in that purgatory and you're circling, a lot of that is like, I know I'm not as fulfilled or I know there's something else, but I'm still trying to control the steering wheel. And I'm just driving myself in circles because... If it doesn't look like the change that I've initiated, if it doesn't look like the plan that I have for my life, then I'm not with all this other stuff. (laughs) And that is actually operating in a seen realm versus the unseen. And the concept of believing bigger is understanding, well, big, first of all, is an acronym that stands for built in God. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't build in the natural realm. He builds in the unseen realm. And then it's up to us to bring it into the natural realm. But we can't see it unless we believe in what we do not see. And so when we get information or we see things and it seems like things aren't going our way or it's not how we like it, that's our old self not willing to die off. It's not willing to let go. And it really does take tapping into the opposite of what you would normally do to open up an abnormal, breathtaking life and shift and experience. It is so uncomfortable. It sucks most of the time (laughs) going through that metamorphosis and change. But so is it for a baby going through the birth canal. It is not comfortable at all, but it's the process to get to the other side. To get to the glory zone. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. So that's the goal. We're shifting from the comfort zone, which is where discovery and talent are. We go through this gap and in the middle is like a growth zone. This is where we run and we say we're under spiritual attack. And I'm not saying that's not sometimes part of it, but one of the other underlying themes in terms of this mind battle I talk about is the battle between little me, that's your fear and your dysfunction and future me, which is really the voice that is supposed to be moving you forward to make bigger, bolder, destiny level decisions, futuristic decisions. And so if we can do that, future me is always trying to guide us into our promised land, which is a glory zone. The glory zone is great for us, but it ultimately naturally impacts God. I shouldn't say impact, it glorifies God. Our lives just do that. When we're operating in who we are, when we're, we're in this other space, I almost look at it like an outer space. So there are certain ways that you can fly in the atmosphere of earth. Plane is amazing. It can go all around the world, but it can't leave that atmosphere. And that's like the comfort zone. There's a lot that you can do. You can be successful. You can climb all five of those mountains and then climb all five again. And if you're an achiever, you'll probably create mountains, a sixth and a seventh one, and still never leave this dimension. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go to another dimension, the glory zone is another dimension. This is where miracles and things come with ease and that there's expansion. This is where he wants you. This is your promised land, your purpose, space and place that is only for you. This is about maybe a physical place that you're supposed to be, something actually you're supposed to be doing, but it's just a different dimension altogether. Your mindset is different. Your spirit yeah 
the way you give, the way you think, the way you operate, and the opportunities that come to you, the impact that you have, what you're able to give. I'm this business girl who happens to believe in still in the sick being healed and the blind being able to see and other people's lives being changed outside of me making a dollar. And so that's what happens, though, when we're in our territory, wearing our crown in our space, in the glory zone. And it's just more peaceful. You meet better people. I was going to (laughs) say Yeah, I was going to say that too. It's totally, it's peaceful. It's peaceful. This is where those who are dealing with a bad relationship, because in the comfort zone, I had to realize that I attracted my fiance. I didn't deserve to be cheated on. That's different than when people say I attracted that. It's not that you deserved it but there was something broken in you that attached to something broken in that other person that enabled them to show up in your life. So I had to get really clear about the fact that I was so success addicted and had some self-esteem issues from not having the boyfriends growing up, from always being successful. And so there was a vulnerability there and men will see a vulnerability in a woman. Yeah. And so until that gets healed and sealed, so it can't be, that will continue to be an issue for recurring bad relationships. That's why it's important to do something different for me. I just want to say counseling is key. And sometimes we need counseling outside of a church because we need people who have great skills, not just a great understanding of the spirit. Just like I went to law school, I didn't go to church to get my law school training. Mm. I went with someone who this is what they do in their union. And I'm not saying that it can't be great there. I just think sometimes we get stuck and we continue in the gap is because we're kind of silly about this thing of not getting help. Like we go to a doctor or we go to a lawyer or we go to a CPA for a specialized issue, but we won't do that with our mental health. And that's just keeping us stuck. So on the other side in the glory zone is better relationships. This is where I found this gift for helping people, helping women. And I started to find out that branding and messaging was a gift. I first found that out on The Apprentice when we had all these tasks for Lamborghini. And so I talk a lot about that. And I just developed it. I started with the seminar. I needed to pay my bills. I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. So I said, you know what? Everyone's picking my brain. Why don't you all pay me (laughs) $1,497 to come into a room and I'll tell you what I know about business and branding. And I was floored when I got the first purchase. And it was Phyllis Jenkins. She bought my first ticket and there's nothing like the first sale that makes you think, wow, this really might work. And at that season, after the infidelity, after the counseling, after the just, God was very faithful about the um, money that I needed to come in. But I also, when I say that, I also say I had planted seeds before him that that he was able to water in a storm. And I had already built some infrastructure so that when he said pause, I could. So um, I was able to pay my bills. But after that first one, I needed a yes. After that first, that first sale, I needed a yes. And it grew to um, becoming one of the largest coaching companies for women of faith in the country, multi-seven-figure enterprise. And I realized my gifts while I was working with the women and then my zone of influence wasn't about me trying. It's in retrospect that I saw, oh, I'm not just doing business. I'm really providing spiritual guidance and support and business strategy for women who are ambitious women of faith. So it's just, you don't figure this stuff out intellectually. It's just knowing this is where you're going 
and being present. And you're going to see it in hindsight, but you've got to have foresight to step onto the path to begin with. Yeah. I love yeah, you'll meet a better man. I met, I met a great man too. So <laughs> I'll let them find the details about that in the book. But I will say for the women that have been through some issues well, that and might be in it right now and trying to decide, do I stay or do I go? I found that when I believed bigger, the answers got clearer. I, had, I was able to say, is this little me making a decision because I'm scared versus future me? And there were some men that almost came back in as intruders again because little me won't go easily because it seems so natural and so much of it is superficial about what we think we need, what we think we want. And believing bigger is becoming a less superficial chick at the end of the day, too. I can just say it like that. And on the other side is greater love and peace and joy and fulfillment. Everything you've been praying for and believing for is on the other side of a bigger decision. And that's why, yes, I want you to find your purpose, but I also want you to have an amazing, joyous life. And that can't happen if we shrink and it can only happen on the other side of a bigger belief system. Yeah. One of the things Steve Harvey said at a conference I was speaking at about a year ago is that we don't get what we want. We get what we believe. Amen. And I yes, just passed to Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that. I really connect to that. Holding on to that is one thing. And then also just everything I read and believe bigger. This is a game changer. It really stretches you. And one of the things is, even if you're a person who's like, oh, I know my purpose, don't sleep on this. (laughs) You know, like don't sleep on this process because it's not something that can be rushed. And to your point, it's evolving. Yes. we, We uncover more of it in the doing, not in the thinking about it, not in the, you know, mulling it over and over and not just in China. I realized most recently that I'm around a lot of women in particular where we have an awareness of God, but we don't necessarily, or we have an acknowledgement, but we still want to seek out answers from other people. Oh, come on somebody. (laughs) That's a huge issue, especially with all the thought leadership right now. Yeah. Like we still want answers from all these other people. And I remember in the book, you talked about one well-intentioned soul who told you that women would be too broken to receive your big message of reinvention, mm-hmm. right? And I love when you said we've been mentored, taught, and conditioned to shrink and settle for generations. Mm-hmm. And I can think about every time I've wanted to do something radical, instead of being still and really just seeking God and letting it unfold in the doing, like just trusting the next best step, I always wanted confirmation from someone else. And so yeah. I would go to a mentor, go to this, this person, yeah. so they must know. And the reality was the vision wasn't given to them. Like you said, well-intentioned and they meant well. But you have to be careful when they're your gatekeepers sometimes. And you think because they're in a position, even if they have a spiritual title, the person who shared this with me was actually a literary agent, maybe seven or so years ago. And I'm grateful that she told me that because I wouldn't have started a company. I would have prematurely tried to write this book. So even that was like a donkey. I always say Christ came riding in on a donkey. Sometimes we get unconventional delivery methods, but it's still a message that is important for whatever reason. Now, 
I probably developed some self-doubt because of that. I was like, is my message too big? Am I too loud? Am I taking up too much space? Which is something when you're asking that question, I believe you're on the right path. Mm -hmm. But the thing we also have to remember is that titles can become idols and the title of somebody else, the opinion, and even confirmation can become an idol Mm -hmm. because this whole thing of do not move until God speaks that is not the methodology for moving on everything. That's called over-spiritualization. And it is a fear. It is, it is a, it's a spirit of fear that has been sanctioned from the pulpit that has caused us to be overthinkers, fearful that God is going to strike us down if we mess up, which then is us feeling like we don't trust ourselves. We're not taught how to be bold leapers. We're not taught how to go and face danger. We're taught how to be risk managers. And that's, it's time out for all of that. On my watch, it's time out for all of that. And what I pray is that a new generation of ambitious women who hold nothing back, that they take the limits off and that they discover who God really is through their true faith, not through what they confess with their mouth, but what they move and do with their hands and their feet. And see how he's going to show up in your life when you do what others say, even those who meant well, right? See what happens when you do what the original voice who created you from his voice says. When you do that, see how things will show up. And all of these thought leaders, I love listening to you. I love listening to a lot of people. But we can't allow thought leaders to take the place of God's voice. And we can't allow good messages and even books. For me, I don't allow that to take the place of scripture in my life. For me, scripture is always going to be a strategy. And if somebody doesn't want to read it, not my problem, because I'm going to, I'm just going to keep moving ahead with it. And if I'm, if I'm too far ahead for you to catch up with, I have a book for you. It's called the B-I-B-L-E and you can read it and we'll see how it works out. But that's just my belief system. And I feel like if we can tap into who we really are by listening to who God says we are and not just what the cliff notes version of what somebody else says to us, we will blow our own minds. Mm, I love that. Oh, okay. Marshawn. So at the end of every episode, Mm -hmm. I ask redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. So I'm going to ask you a question and just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Yes, ma'am. Okay. How do you define success? I define it as more people who get to spend eternity with me and me with them. Mm. Wow. That's deep. I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything like that. Anything less than that. I relapse. (laughs) Mm. Wow. That's good. Marshawn. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Just more than enough. More than enough. That's good. I like that. Okay. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? Ooh, wealth. Um, honestly, I'm going to go back with the Bible simply because I have read that thing since I was a kiddo. And when I started shifting into the gift stage, it was like everything I saw was different. And so I'm like, why does anybody else see what is anybody else seeing this stuff in here? <laughs> Proverbs and rubies and jewels and the Proverbs 31 woman. And like, she was a mogul. She wasn't just a wife. So for me, I would say in terms of wealth, I would say it's the, the, the Bible, particularly the book of Proverbs and the story about Joseph when he w- went from the pit to the palace. That was the thing that got me off my butt and said, you need to start preparing 
So that's the book that really got me off my tail. Love it. And fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. Okay. My name is voice. And for me, true wealth is speaking life and being a catalyst so that new life can come forth. Mm, I love that. I love it, my dear. That was excellent. Thank you so much, Marshawn. I know that the audience is going to be blessed by the message of Believe Bigger. This is incredible. You outdid yourself. And I can tell that you put everything into birthing this message of Believe Bigger. Like I read a lot of books every month, but you can just tell when, when, there's something deeper there. And when it was really God inspired, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like a quick, okay, here are 21 ways to do X, Y, and Z. No, you put everything out there, including sharing so much of your personal um, testimony as well. And Girl. <laughs> I, I, I know that I needed it and I know that my audience needs it. And I know that so many women and some great men out there, mm-hmm. um, blessed by the message so thank you thank you thank you for having me thank you for taking the charge and being a true Proverbs 31 woman and that is what you are thank you all right you can't say I didn't warn you (laughs) if you didn't have your hardcover copy of believe bigger trust me it's time to go get that paperback Uh, comes out September 24th. You want to grab that book and you want to bring it with you if you already are coming to the live podcast taping on October 13th to bring your book. We'll see if Marshawn will go on ahead and autograph it for you. But come and get in that room and experience what the next level of this conversation feels like, sounds like. I want you to be in that space. I want you to be in that energy. And I want you to know what's possible. Uh, And I want you to meet and connect with and find some sisters and some brothers and get some support. And yes, I said brothers, because there will be more than a few good men in attendance. And I'm super excited about that, too. So come meet your fellow Purpose Chasers October 13th. Go to RedefiningWealthLive.com. That's RedefiningWealthLive.com. Meet Marshawn, meet Brandy Harvey, and meet some of my other amazing, amazing friends from the podcast, like Sherry Riley and Doreen Rainey and a few others who have already said, I'm in the building, sis. So um, come have a good time with us. And until next time, I want you to just go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. Later.